In Arc 6, Oka, Sitlali, Vaska, and Dewey prepare for their journey to Jukai with Mercy and Dr. Eluso. After a tense morning of sparring, the team heads to Kinongbo, but that's not where they end up. They learn from Lord Hinka Oju that Kinongbo is impenetrable and appears to be full of statues frozen in time, under the effect of what they're calling the stagnation. Oka learns that their half-brother, the former Prince Mo, is stuck in the capital. After a few days of tense travel, with Mercy trying to get under Vasca's skin about Atalanta, the team reaches Kinongbo and enters the stagnation. They find themselves under the stars on Adolin, only hours before the cataclysm. The party makes their way towards Sen's pagoda at the top of Kinongbo, passing through an elite garden party where Prince Mo has taken up residence with Zephyr, a Jukan noble. Prince Mo admits he entered the stagnation in order to try and reclaim some honor for his family, but he's since become disillusioned with his chances of stopping it. The clock is nearing midnight rapidly, and in a last-ditch attempt, Sitlali plane ships everyone to the pagoda, but it's too late. The cataclysm arrives. Everyone relives one of the worst moments of their lives. In the blink of an eye, the apocalypse ends, and everyone is standing at the city gate again, back where they started. Suddenly, Oka is sucker-punched by Shuhai Miao, who tells them to fuck off. Shuhai then notices the rest of the party and leans in, kissing Dr. Aluso. In the moment that follows, Shuhai disappears with the good doctor. Oka, Sitlali, Vaska, Dewey, and Mercy try to process what just happened. Oka starts by having an identity crisis and begins turning into a Tzilin. Sitlali tracks down Dr. O's location at the top of Sen's pagoda and warps the team up there only for Shuhai to summon a Tarask to distract them. This is fine, except it's totally not fine because Sitlali totally dies and it's sort of maybe Vasca's fault. Sitlali goes to the after and is greeted by Leaf, who explains that her soul cannot pass because of Adam's dark magic. Back in the now, Mercy turns on Vasca in a fit of grief. Oka stabs Vasca with Dream Hunter, trying to shunt Nitbuza loose. They pull. They pull on the pain of the god of story and memory and break space time apart. Reality shatters. Dewey sees his family. Vasca watches Atalanta die all over again. And together, the team pulls Sitlali back into her body, but not before Kinongbo is replaced by the Silent Grove. The party appears in the Silent Grove the night that Makoya Hien died. But this time, when Makoya dies, Liangya can't bring them back. Sitlali, still on death's door, pulls their soul out of their body and goes after the shred of Makoya Hien still in the after. Vasca and Dewey desperately try to hold on to her soul, and Oka stitches their own life back together. Shuhai arrives and blips them all back to the beginning of the time loop. There, Mercy freaks out on Sitlali for leaving her and storms off after punching Vasca. Oka and Dewey go after Mercy. Sitlali and Vasca formulate a plan to use Dewey's Godjar to bring the shred of Makoya Hien's soul back to Oka's body. After some convincing, the group gathers again and warps onto the pagoda to confront Shuhai Miao. During the confrontation, Oka interferes with Shuhai's spellwork, and reality breaks all around them. Again. 
Sen leaps from Shuhai's chest, and the team begins a wild goose chase back through their own memories of space and time. After watching Dewey get fired from the URL, taking a quick pit stop in Ohio to pick up a monster energy drink, and then reliving the moment Atalanta dies, reality bends to find Jeron, who's dying on the night of the Cataclysm. Oka begs Shuhai to help them save Jeron, and Shuhai begrudgingly agrees. Oka receives the God Shard of Sen only for it to begin tearing their soul apart. After removing Sen once again, Sitlali goes back into the after and convinces Makoya to return to the now. Sen helps guide Sitlali and Makoya home as Sitlali swears an oath to the weave itself. Oka unites with the rest of their soul and Shuhai reveals that an aspect of the stranger has followed them to this timeline. The party prepares to fight the aspect of the stranger. They complete one final loop, preparing spells and weapons for the fight of their lives. The aspect arrives, all wings and eyes painted in a different reality encroaching upon the now. Oka, Vasca, Sitlali, Dewey, Mercy, Dr. Luso, and Shuhai launch into battle, trading blows with the frighteningly powerful aspect. Dewey nearly loses Dusty, but is able to gather him into the god jar at the last moment. Vasca's zither, her last reminder of Atalanta, is ripped from them, and they fall into grief. Sen comes to Sitlali in this moment of great peril for Vasca, and they become Keeper of Sen in order to help the party. Dr. Luso is unharmed by the aspect. Despite their best efforts, the party is backed into a corner as the aspect begins to remake itself out of nothing. But not before the past paragons come through Shuhai's portal to help. Together, they're able to pull back most of the aspect, and Oka reaches out for Sen, becoming the Paragon. Sen asks Oka to change their destiny. Terrified but hopeful, they agree. Together, in a dream memory, Shuhai and Oka open up a part of the sky to reveal a single star above the Euclid chasm. Then the vision fades, and Oka has their magical girl transformation. They land back at the Kinongbo Shrine and force the aspect through a black hole and into its own time. As the aspect is banished, the capital begins to catch up on this past year. The party shares in a small celebration, and Oka finds a love letter from Atalanta addressed to Vasca, tucked into the robes of their clothes. It's then that Mo Jingqin and Zephyr reappear. They explained that Jingqian used all of his royal impudence to keep the crowds calm and were able to change fate and evacuate the city with no casualties. In the aftermath, Vasca and Mercy have a heart-to-heart. -heart. They both apologize for the myriad of ways they've hurt each other, and Vasca sings Mercy a song about her love for Atalanta. Mercy then treats Sitlali to a water and fish date, and they discuss sacrilege, keepership, leaf dream eye, and how Spider Starwing is definitely Mercy's kid. Zephyr asks Dewey if the two of them can go on a date after the final battle with the stranger. Dr. Eluso takes Oka on a picnic date where they both admit their feelings for one another. Lord Henka Oju arrives with great fanfare and thanks the party for services rendered to her nation. They all accept her gratitude gratefully themselves, but Adolin is coming once again, and they need to get back to the homestead. 
The party bonds on their trip back to the teleportation dais, and after an evening of haircuts, secrets shared, and care, they prepare for the next step of their journey. Meanwhile, in Morose, Abiku, Gentle, Jaron, Vasanti, Rev, and Costas set out for Bolshaya in search of the tapestry that depicts the first stranger war. Tensions run high. V doesn't trust Jaron, Abiku tries to stay out of it, and Gentle attempts to broker peace. After retrieving directions from Elder Rao Pohaku, the Morose party heads for the headquarters of the Chromium Order in the far north. But during their journey, they encounter a familiar copper dragonborn woman with a baby in tow. The party re-meets Najwa Katri, one of the copper stewards who tells them that her wife Tamba is missing. She insists that Tamba has been taken by the Chromium Order and asks the party to find her and bring her home safely. Together, the party forms a plan to infiltrate the Order, but are suddenly attacked by a rage-afflicted emissary. Jaron and Abiku are able to soothe the creature, who reveals that it was trapped by researchers at the URL and has been afflicted with mother's blood ever since. The party finally arrives at a village set up on the shores of Nebusa's Teardrop, a frozen lake across from the Chromium Order headquarters, the Iron Citadel. The village appears to be a tourist trap. Abiku notices a familiar cannon and has a flashback to the time she met Sun during a battle in the Thousand Year War. It's revealed that the draconic mages and gigantic mages are both titans, their difference lying in how they channel magic. In the flashback, Abiku meets Shrinyi for the first time. A boat is called to take the group to the citadel, and the group begins to cross with Costas and Bud left behind. While they're on their way to the headquarters, the boat is suddenly attacked. V finds Sievert on the shore, and an epic confrontation ensues whereby both demonstrate that they are more powerful now than they were the last time they met. Badass. Suddenly, a voice calls for the fighting to end. It's none other than V's estranged father, Tyrion. Tyrion seems surprised by V's presence and by her claims that she's his daughter. Tyrion claims that he often had dreams of a daughter, but never knew of her true existence. He claims he had suspicions about V being alive, and had sent Sievert to learn more about her and even collect some blood for a DNA test. As it turns out, Sievert lied to Tyrion about V being his daughter, and Tyrion had trusted his second-in-command. Tyrion is extremely pleasant and friendly, and very excited to meet V, welcoming the whole party in with open arms and a gracious invitation. Tyrion is a consummate host, and the party learns that he is one of the last draconic mages in existence, and recognizes Abiku, citing her great failure in the past. Tyrion claims that he encountered a group of Kusing Guild members attacking Tamba, who is the one other draconic mage left alive in Endake, and had rescued her. Tyrion claims he saved Tamba in the middle of a battle, although she is in a coma from an intense poison. Abiku and Gentle immediately visit Tamba in the infirmary and learn that the poison racking her body is magical and difficult to counter. Jaron and V argue after she reveals she worked with the Chrysalis for self-serving reasons. Soon enough, it's Jaron's birthday, and Gentle gives them a gift before the two set off to try to find the tapestry. 
Tyrion reveals that he thinks V has the power to potentially become a draconic mage herself and wants to train her. Tyrion even offers to let V kill Sievert as a show of trust. He wants V to know her legacy and begins to share his story. Whilst watching over Tamba, Abiku is thrown into a memory of meeting Shrini for the first time. As Abiku comes to, the Raven Queen offers to make herself a bridge to Tamba on the precipice of death so they can also communicate. Both Tamba and Tyrion tell the same tale from two perspectives, the start of the Thousand Year War. Gigantic mages and draconic mages are explained to be titans who are trying to build a utopia but use their magic in different ways. The war started when Tyrion, a draconic mage, killed his sister Visanti, a gigantic mage. This war became about revenge and power, and the titans lost their way. Tamba is about to explain what Abiku and Shrini did in the Vault of Banua, but she suddenly cut off. Abiku is awoken by Sievert, who has killed Tamba. The Raven Queen entreats Abiku to become her keeper and she accepts, saving Tamba's soul from vanishing into the Nothing Plane and sending it to Grimm. In another part of the Citadel, Jaron and Gentle celebrate Jaron's birthday by going to look for the Stranger Tapestry. It's being kept in a room with surveillance and teleportation rings to various parts of the citadel surrounding it. The tapestry is weaving and unweaving different endings to the story, with Sen being the one symbol missing. Jaron and Gentle see Abiku and Sievert in combat in one ring, and the two jump in to join the fight. V and Tyrion overhear as well, and descend to the Medward. Tyrion offers V the chance to kill Sievert. Sievert confesses that at first, he was only pursuing V on her father's orders, but that he did actually fall in love with her. Sievert is about to tell the group something else when Tyrion kills him. The party recenters themselves after Sievert's death. Tyrion explains to Joran that he wants to help V unlock her true potential by teaching her how to shift into her draconic form and asks Joran for help gaining V's trust. Jaron warns V not to trust her father, but she flips a coin and decides to go to Tyrion anyway. A raven comes to Abiku, and the Raven Queen tells Abiku the truth of her past. She tells Abiku how she was born to two loving fathers in the black glass forests of what would soon become Kirtal, and how one of her dads died during the war. Abiku then took up arms and met an enemy mage, Shrini, and fell deeply in love. Together, Abiku and Shrini leapt between their opposing sides and tried to stop the fighting once and for all. Their plan had even worked until Tyrion killed Shrini, causing violence and chaos to explode once again. In the waking world, Gentle is led by Bud to a deep part of the citadel they'd never been to before, following the origin of the poison's smell. Gentle investigates the poison and learns that Tyrion has been intentionally poisoning Tamba with the help of Yagli. They learn that ancient titanic mages are invulnerable unless weakened by poison, and Gentle rides off in Bud's back, desperate to meet up with their friends and relay this information. In the vault of Banua, deep within the Iron Citadel, the tension between V and Tyrion finally comes to a head. V attacks Tyrion, but he takes it all in stride until V is too tired to carry on. She agrees to drink the potion Tyrion offers her, and as she does, she begins to die. Tyrion explains that he is on the precipice of godhood. 
In the final battle, the gigantic queens had triggered a curse that severed all titans from the weave, taking away their ability to shift. The only way to break this curse was for all of the remaining titans to die until there was only one left. In the 5,000 years since, Tyrion killed 23,962 other titans in his attempt to break the curse, and he absorbed their power with each kill. Tyrion then explains that he suspected V was his child, and Seaver did in fact go after her to confirm that much is true. However, Sievert had lied to Tyrion to protect V, knowing that Tyrion would kill her if he knew she was his child, and therefore a draconic mage. And Sievert had killed Tomba on Tyrion's orders in order to make it up to him. Finally, after this wicked villain monologue, Tyrion promises V that she will die now. However, Abiku is led by the Raven Queen to the vault at this time. She's jolted from this story by Tyrion's voice, promising to kill V within the vault. Jaron sees all of this playing out from the tapestry room and leaps through one of the rings landing between Tyrion and V. They scoop her up and make a break for it. Meanwhile, Gentle and Bud also arrive, flying down from one of the tapestry room's rings. The party faces down Tyrion in his full draconic form, in his lair, surrounded by his treasure hoard. Abiku is the face of vengeance for all her people, and she shifts into her gigantic mage form. Tyrion shows the party a vision of the Stranger War, and what kind of devastation will come if she's allowed to return. However, the party holds fast against him, and Tyrion attacks with all his might. Finally backed up against the wall, V lands the final blow and kills her father. As she passes out and Tyrion begins to die, V asks Rev not to reap his soul. She blacks out and awakens reborn as Vasanti Nocsherzo. However, Rev could not abide by Vasanti's wish. It's then that the tapestry begins to reweave itself, and Gentle is pulled by an unknown thread outside, where they see a single star shining to the south. The party travels back to Bolshaya, with the stranger tapestry in tow, where they are thanked by Elder Rao. Jaron is able to mourn his parents and finds even footing with Vasanti. Abiku delivers Tamba's letter to a heartbroken Najwa, and the party makes sure she is well cared for before turning their sights back toward the homestead and the single shining star above it. Finally, Equilibrium reunites at Dr. Luso's homestead on the night of Adolin, exactly one year after the Cataclysm. People from all across Endake have been uniting under the single star that shines directly over the homestead. The parties come together, battered and changed, and after reading the tapestry from Morose, everyone learns that the past paragons had left a spell for their future counterparts. Everyone adds a special component to the spell, and together, they bring back the after. Celebration ensues, until a massive pillar of red light explodes into the sky from the URL, and the earth begins to tremble from deep within the chasm. The stranger is almost here. <laughs>